Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Your key to financial opportunity.
uh, the uh, KBI and and the FBI took pretty much took control of the scene by the time we got it all, you know, everything settled down and handcuffed and all this stuff. Pretty much took over the investigation. I'm trying to remember because as soon as we got secured the scene, we knew everything was all right. We had everybody handcuffed and we started transporting. They pulled us to the side and said, start doing your report while it's fresh on your mind. So we, I sat with patrolman in his car and we did our reports. I just remember that when I got to, uh, got my reports done, I went back to the department and everything. They said, hey, we need you to go up to the hospital and guard Rometa, which I thought, well, that's kind of weird. I'm here. I am trying to shoot the guy a while ago. Now I'm, there was a lot of reports and rumors and everything else in the town and Everybody was upset, and there was, you know, threats that they were going to come and basically, you know, get them out and kill them or whatever, you know. So we had to keep them under wraps pretty good. Uh, he was like, I don't know how to say it, uh, not smug, but just like, oh, well, nothing happened. No big deal. Attitude, you know. He thought, well, I'll be out of here in no time anyway. But he, you know, he didn't, I probably didn't realize we knew about all the other bodies. She was scared. She was definitely scared. Wasn't mug or nothing. She was, you know, I don't even remember the wording. I just kind of remember she was spouting off. I didn't want to do it. They made me, beat me, and this kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, it was definitely, I mean, it was uh, talking to town for a year or two. I mean, uh, and the thing is, the town, it was a... It's a small community college, community college town, 10 to 15,000 people maybe. But everybody knew most of the police, and that's why they were after him, because they got Ben Albright, and he was one of them ones that I loved, you know. But it was definitely different, you know, for a small town. Well, you had the uh, murders in Garden City, you know, in cold blood. That was national news for a while. Yeah, it was something, and we had... I-70 runs right through there, and man, there was always something going on on I-70. People come through there, it's desolate. They think that, you know, they can get by with anything, and I mean, uh, it was, there was all, we were always pulling somebody off interstate, some, somebody wanted for something. They were fighting that we got a new governor, and he tried to get rid of her, got rid of it, if I remember right at the time. And that's one of the reasons they decided to send Rometta to Florida. Wanted to go there anyway, because they have the death penalty there. Yeah, he he was asking for it. He wanted to change his mind after a while, but he, at the time, that's what he was wanting. Uh, yeah, there was a big fight over that for a while. And I think, from what I remember, they temporarily reinstated it for, I don't remember, I can't, I'm, it's been like 38 years ago, I can't they had, they got special permission or special whatever genius of the crime. I, I remember when they told me he got out, and then I remember uh, it was shortly, maybe days afterwards, he had a heart attack. I said, oh, good, justice served. Kind of laughed at that, you know, I was like, ah, good. Yeah, he... He always claimed from the beginning he was a hitchhiker. Hey, I just, all right, I, they made me do it or they were going to kill me and, you know, this kind of stuff. 
of witnesses we got, you know, for somebody that was being made to do something, he was sure getting into it. Yeah, there was all things that went around, and supposedly Romero was going to try to shoot him at one time, and just and he took his gun away from him. He didn't give his gun back, Walter's gun back to him until we stopped him. And they might have picked him up, but he wasn't. Uh, what I want to say, he wasn't backing down and not going to do anything. If you know what I mean, he he was, he was a participant. No matter how he got there, he was a participant. The faces after the first ones they killed way back when they picked him up. He could have ran off then or whatever, you know, he could have got away if he'd wanted to. They trust him with a gun. I mean, we don't know anymore than you do. It's always been Rometta did it. They, all the other ones that Rometta did it. So, you know, we have no proof otherwise. I mean, I'm somewhere along the line. Ballistics had to be done. So they would at least know maybe whose gun it was. I mean, you know, somewhere along the line. You really, I mean, depends on how they did it, but if you got two people laying side by side, you're, you're talking about a matter of a second. Shoot the other one. We had heard it. I mean, it could have been. We, I don't remember where we heard it or something, but we had heard one time that Lisa did one of them. But that was police talk. I mean, that was just, you know, you know there was never any proof of it. The ones involved were me and in the highway patrol, Mark Convoy and then James Dival and Dennis Brown. We were the first ones on the scene. Steve Harvey, well, he went with me into the house to do the building search. I was thinking all the stuff that went on, I don't even know who lived there. We never even heard like, hey, they called and thanked us or hey, they called one of what's going on. Never heard a word. You know, beat out the police station. Hey, what the heck is going on? Yeah, it's, I, that's kind of weird. I was, I've thought of that before. It's like, you know, I don't even know who lives there. Never heard anything about him. Well, it was definitely a day, that's for sure. Well, uh, pretty much all of the, the, the main guys, that the law enforcement that I was involved with, Sheriff gone, both the Dybul and Brown are gone. Um, Ben Albright's gone. My dad was worked for the government, so we moved around a lot. And uh, I was born at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, but then uh, he went back home to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and we went from there to Columbus, Ohio, and to Indianapolis, and uh, Miami, and Bangkok, Thailand. Um, I went to high school in Atlanta, Georgia. Graduated from high school in uh, a suburb of Kansas City called Overland Park. Then my family moved back to the D.C. area. I joined the Army, uh, was in Korea, and then was stationed at Fort Riley. And when I got out of the Army, um, I stayed in Kansas. I, I uh, applied and was accepted to the Kansas Highway Patrol, and that was back in 1978. Um, you know, when it started going down, um, the, the, the manager at the Stuckies had got shot and killed. Um, when that get, got put out, of course, you know, everybody and their brother in northwest Kansas was looking for him. I mean, you know, all the troopers, all the, the sheriffs, all the police departments, they were, everybody was looking for him. So I, I was never actually assigned. Actually, um, I kind of came up behind it and wasn't really involved. Uh, and then just all of a sudden, there they were. I don't know, I'm guessing 45 minutes before I 
I was a long ways away. I was probably, um, from where I ended up, probably 50 miles. The initial, you had, you had suckies, and then later on, um, you know, the, the sheriff's deputy, Ben Albright, stopped them. That was probably, you know, half hour later, 20 minutes later. And then the, the Levan incident, and then we started hearing about that. And so, I mean, everybody was just, you know, running around all over the country looking for them. Uh, but at the, well, and this becomes an issue in Florida, but at the shootout, there were two guns. Mark Walter had one and James Hunter had one. Danny Rometta did not have a gun. But yeah, he left, he later, he claimed, and if you go all the way through the story, Danny Rometta was basically the tough guy that claimed that he was the mastermind of everything. And later, when he was getting ready to be put to death, he claimed that Lisa Dunn was the mastermind and, you know, he was doing what she wanted. And I tend to believe more of that, to be honest with you. Um, Rometta, you know, Lisa Dunn probably had twice the IQ that, that, that Danny Rometta had. He was some old bum that had been in prison for, you know, most of the last 10 years, quite a bit older than her, probably 10 years. I think he did what he, much of what he did to impress her, yes. I mean, I was, you know, the, the shootout happened, um, you know, everybody was arrested and, and pretty much hauled off. I handcuffed Lisa. Yeah, no, she was, she was kind of laughing. Um, she said, uh, she, she had made the comment to somebody, and I don't remember who now, but that basically she didn't, she didn't know that brains would scatter that far, referring to Mark, Mark Walter's brains on the side of the pickup. Um, she did, you know, make the statement several times to Danny that she loved him, and and she made the statement to us several times that you know that we that we'd shot the wrong guy. They pulled into Stuckey's. Well, pr prior just prior to that, there was the three of them. There was Mark Walters, um, there was Danny Rometta, and uh, Lisa Dunn. And they came into Kansas, it was just the three of them. And they came from the south. Uh, they went through Wichita on I-135. Uh, there they picked up J.C. Hunter, James Hunter, uh, as a hitchhiker. Um, they got up, apparently went up through Salina, turned west on I-70. Um, when they got to the little town called Grainfield, Kansas, um, there was a Stuckey's there. Uh, and it's pretty close to a uh, a pretty large high school, kind of a regional high school there called Wheatland High School. And they went in and they robbed. Uh, the manager was in there by himself. His name was Larry McFarland. And they shot him, uh, trying to remember how many times he got shot, several times. They killed him for $170. Um, a student at the school, it was, like I said, it was close to this high school, so uh, there was a student apparently that had stopped over there to uh, get a snack. It was the student that found the body, and the student had seen a uh, red and blue car with Michigan tags uh, leaving as they pulled in. So they reported that. So, you know, we were looking for a red and blue car with Michigan tags, which obviously kind of stood out. Ben Albright, the deputy, he stopped the, the car up west of Colby on I-70 and that's when he got shot. Uh, he claimed that James Hunter got out on the passenger side and shot him. Rometta took credit for it later and claimed to have done everything. 
after that they decided apparently decided that they needed to change vehicles so um they were close to the small town called levant and i don't know what the population is now i think back then it was like 60 or 70 something like that 68 something like that uh they pulled into a grain elevator um in that grain elevator there were several people in there um one of them was inside uh was the manager and there were two guys that were outside um there was a a guy by the name of Rick Schroeder that was 29 years old and a 55 year old man named Glenn Moore uh they forced them into the back of the pickup and took them as hostage um before they left uh they broke the window in the office there of the of the grain elevator and shot the manager and his name was Morris Christie uh shot him in the back and they left him for dead but uh he ended up living as they were leaving uh and i don't know why they took these hostages cuz shortly thereafter they stopped on a road um and they made him lay face down in the road and they executed both in the back of the head and left him dead um now they were driving a um it was a two-tone green club cab pickup um that was owned by Moore um they headed north north on uh 25 highway out of Colby up towards a city called Atwood in the next county and apparently prior to getting to Atwood they saw or became aware of a uh, a roadblock that the police and the probably the sheriff up there had, had set up and uh so they turned around and headed back south and that's when I ran into them yeah i was headed north on 25 i was um i, I met two semis and they the, they were tucked in behind the second semi so it was just like all of a sudden boom there they were small two lane country road basically I well I was the first but not very they're very uh, close behind me was a uh, was a marked Colby police car and I I didn't know who that was but I, there was one there and then back behind them and I didn't have a clue who these people were and you got to understand back then you know we we were kind of all on different frequencies and communications wasn't what it is now there was a station wagon back there a uh, you know just a privately owned station wagon back behind all of us and I like said I had no clue that they were there but it turned out Thank God it was the uh it was the two br- half brothers from Colby PD in a personal vehicle and that was Dennis Brown and and uh Ken Dibel. I I turned around um they passed the two semis. I got around the two semis. Um we came up on a farmhouse. Uh the farmhouse had uh had two driveways. The north driveway went off to like a uh a big farm building big metal building where they stored the tractors and stuff out building and then the south driveway went up to the house and they got off on that first driveway and started heading at an angle towards the house and I didn't follow them thank god I didn't follow them I just gunned it and I got ahead of them on the on the blacktop and went to the to the driveway at the house and and I beat them there and you know just to keep them out of the house I was worried about them getting in that house because you know of course obviously could be people in there as it turns out there weren't but you know a house in western kansas the farmhouse was probably got guns in it too we'd have had a we'd have had a standoff you know for sure had they got in there and uh anyway i managed to get ahead of them i pulled into that driveway and so they stopped you know i stopped um just as i was getting out of my car uh, mark walter got out of the truck on the on the driver's side and they were they were at an angle to me facing straight towards them and but I was looking at the side of their truck on the driver's side 
So Mark got out. I'm looking right at him. First thing he does is turn and he fires a shot at me. It hits my windshield just as I'm getting out of the car. And then, so I ran around to the rear corner of my car. Uh, the marked Colby police car stopped right behind me. Uh, the station wagon, which was Dennis Brown and, and, and Ken Dival, they stopped at the first driveway back. Well, the other three got out on the passenger side. J.C. Hunter went to run back around that building. And again, there's only, there's only two guns there. Mark Walter has one, and he shot at me. And J.C. Hunter has the other gun, and he's running back around behind the building. He got back to the right rear corner, and he fell in the snow. And you could see there were handprints back there where it looked like he was trying to find the gun. The gun had kind of skipped underneath the, st the snow. Anyway, um, of course, Mark Walter is focused on me and the other marked car behind me and he's shooting at us and he doesn't he's not paying any attention to this station wagon that's up at the end of the at the other driveway either and all i have i don't have a target basically i mean my target is is shadows underneath this truck and i'm just i'm just firing shots in there trying to keep them pinned down keep them out of that house i end up firing 12 shots you know back in the day when we had revolvers that held six and you know dump pouches so i had to reload twice um, reloaded twice. I mean, shot 12, but I ended up with a full gun. Um, that time, Kenneth Dybel, while they were, while Mark Walters was shooting at us, they yelled at him. They yelled something at him. When he heard them, he turned towards them. And when he did, um, Dybel hit him right in the forehead with a, with a rifle shot. They started yelling ceasefire. Uh, and at that point, we went up and, um, of course, Mark Walter was dead. Well, just prior to that, they went to the side of the metal building, the north side of that metal building, and they were yelling at J.C. Hunter to get down. So they took him into custody on the side of the building over there. Danny Rometta, and I, yeah, I've said this before, but Danny, he didn't put up any resistance at all. He was basically, you know, in just my opinion, but my impression was he was kind of the, the tough guy, you know, the bully that's real tough when, you know, he has control of things. but. When, when it got tough, all of a sudden he was he was a real wimp. He he just he just laid there. That's where my involvement pretty much ended. Um, yeah, I, I was again. I, I was from another county. I mean, I was I was totally out of my area. I just headed up that way when everything was going on, and so I went back down. I was from Oakley, and I went up to to uh, I went ended up going down to Colby PD. Um, you know, making a statement, filling out a statement, and then I went home. So I didn't really have any involvement in the aftermath of, as far as the investigation. And you've got jurisdictional issues there, too, because um, uh, eventually the KBI, the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, came in and took over. But, I mean, we were actually in Rollins County and not in... Uh, Colby is in Thomas County, and Levant is in Thomas County. Duskoky is in Gove County, so we're dealing with several counties here. Most of the evidence handling was done by, I think, the Thomas County Sheriff's Office. But very typical in um, the smaller counties, you know, on a major case, because I mean that's kind of what they're there for is to come in and help on, you know, a little five-man department doesn't have a doesn't have the resources and the, and the the training and the experience to handle you know, the larger, larger cases. I mean, that's what KBI is for.
heard the next day on the news, the next morning. You know, all that, that information started coming in the next morning. I mean, they, they again, I went home and wasn't involved with the, much of the investigation, so what they knew that night, I don't know. But, I mean, did we know, were we actively looking for those people? No, we weren't. I know that anybody had a description until that student at Stuckey's. I don't know that anybody ever had a description of the car. But, no, we didn't know anything about her. I didn't, anyway. Of course, things weren't. Communication wasn't wasn't what it is now. Well, um, he didn't really. Uh, Daniel Romeda didn't really have a trial in Kansas. He he pled guilty to the charges in Kansas. Basically, he again he was doing his tough guy thing, and he he uh, he claimed that he didn't want to die in prison, uh, that he wanted to be put to death, so he wanted to go to one of the states that had the death penalty. So he pled guilty in Kansas um, and was sent back to Florida for trial, and he went to Ocala, Florida. Um, and then me and uh, Brown and Dybul were, were all sent to Florida to testify on his behalf. You know, once he got there, now all of a sudden he's got his de- attorney's defense was that at the shootout, and he claimed that he had done everything, but his defense attorney's defense was, well, hey, at the shootout, he didn't have a gun. So we went to the Cal of Florida that, you know, on his behalf that he didn't have a gun at the shootout. There's people in Kansas that placed guns in his hand, uh, particularly at Levant. You know, I mean, there there was witnesses up there that saw him shoot Morris Christie and that saw, you know, who was where when they drove off and that Mark Walters was, in fact, driving. She was very stoic, um, and she claimed <clears throat> they originally were tried together in Colby. Hunter and, and Dunn were tried together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were both found guilty. Uh, they both claimed innocent. He claimed, hey, I was just an innocent hitchhiker. She claimed that she was abused and couldn't get away. And uh, so basically neither of them were guilty of anything, uh, but they were found guilty. Uh, and then later on, you know, different uh, deals, they were they were both given new trials. J.C. Hunter's trial was, was first, and it was in Hayes, which was um, like 100 miles away, 100 miles east. In his trial, again, you know, it was, was Rometta claimed that he had done everything and, uh, and Hunter, you know, hadn't done anything and he was just an innocent hitchhiker. And, you know, what it boiled down to was they just apparently didn't believe, you know, Ben Albright that, that he knew who shot him. And uh, they found him not guilty and he was released. And then four days after he was released, he's back in the Kansas City area somewhere. And I, and I remember how old he was, like 38, something like that. He dies of a heart attack four days after he gets out of prison. I, I don't for a minute believe that he was innocent. I mean, I don't believe he knew what he was getting into, no. Um, I, there's no evidence that they knew each other in advance or he knew what he was getting into. But um, to start with, he claimed when he was hitchhiking, he was headed to Kansas City. But to go north, if you look at a map, he should have been on the turnpike and not on 135. And so to go north on 135 to Salina is out of the way. It doesn't make any sense. Did he have chances to get away? Did he, you know, I, I, you know, like I said, the only thing that I know is is that number one, I, you know, as a friend of Ben, uh, Ben had been on, on the Oakley Police Department prior to going to the Thomas County Sheriff's Office, and he. Uh, I know in my own mind that Ben knew who shot at him. 
through the shotting. You know, I mean, I know in my mind, I see it still to this day, 40 years later, see a clear picture of Mark Walters shooting at me. You know, there's just some things you don't get out of your brain. And I know, but anyway, uh, the jury didn't buy him. Uh, basically, it was a Benzonite guy, but they didn't know who shot at him, and they, and they found him not guilty. At the same time, you know, up at the shootout, there's two guns, and, and Hunter has one of them. You know, why is that? Why doesn't he just put the gun down and give up? Why is he running around the building, you know, and then coming back to flank us? You know, it, it just it just doesn't make sense. He was a good guy, and he was innocent, and we should have been perceived as the good guys to him and not the enemy, but he that's not what he saw. And then, of course, Lisa, uh, and I don't remember the dates, but she ended up, a federal court overturned her conviction, and they gave her a new trial in Topeka, which was literally 300 miles away. So several years later, all these people from Colby got to go 300 miles. She was eventually acquitted on um, what they called the battered woman defense. And they kept her in jail. She was still in jail because Arkansas wanted her on the charges there. But then later... Um, they made it some kind of plea agreement. She pled to a lesser charge of, of hindering apprehension, whatever that means. Uh, she was sentenced to 20 years, but they, sus they suspended her sentence for time served in Kansas and, and let her go. Well, I, again, I, you know, and this is pers just personal opinion, but I, I, I thought she was um, the instigator of most of this. I think Danny did what he did to impress the young girl. I don't. I don't think. You know, I don't see it as being the other way around. I, I think. I think she was. She was the brains behind this. She was certainly not innocent, cold and callous. And then later, I don't know how much you know about her afterlife, but and I don't know all the details. But she. She got. She had several jobs. Uh, she ends up getting arrested for. Um, she was working for a. a uh, I'm trying to remember. She was working for like a psychologist's office or something, and she ended up. Um, Stealing eight thousand dollars from her employer, and so she had she had some several legal problems later on in life. Uh, well, you can't reinstate it after the fact, but um, the, the the issue at the time was John Carlin did not want to release these people to states that had the death penalty. That's what the uproar was. He didn't want to release Lisa to. Uh, you know, to Arkansas to possibly be put to death. He didn't want to release Danny to Florida. There was some kind of agreement with Florida when he released him to the Florida. Florida said, uh, we won't, we won't try, uh, we won't push for the death penalty. And then they did anyway. So that, that may be the uproar that you're thinking about. Cause governor was not happy about that. They, uh, Florida kind of, kind of deceived him apparently. Well, yeah, cause they can't reinstate the death penalty after the crime's committed. You can only, I mean, you can, but you couldn't apply it to them. Really wasn't around him much. I mean, you know, came in and testified and left. So, you know, and, and of course he's sitting there, you know, in a controlled environment and, you know, just sitting there basically. Before he was put to death, I, before he was put to death, his whole tune changed dramatically. I mean, he went from, you know, I want to die. I'm the tough guy. I did it all to, uh, she was in charge um, and not wanting to die. He did everything he could at the very end to keep from getting put to death. He totally changed his tune. He wasn't quite the tough guy at the end that he was in Kansas. I mean, and that's kind of where I get my my uh, description of him as a bully. I would say it's, you know, kind of indicative of the typical bully. You know, they're a tough guy when they've got the upper hand, but as soon as they don't, they're, you know, don't hurt me, don't hurt me.
I mean, you know, it's the typical thing, though. I mean, you have everything, you know, I mean, passing through there. You've got drugs, you've got stone cars, you've got guns, you've got, you know, whatever you can imagine is coming across I-70. And, you know, not just I-70, but any of the major interstates. I mean, but that's pretty much what the troopers do for the most part, at least. I mean, it's different in different states, but, you know, you just never know what you're going to run into, you know, because basically criminals commit traffic violations. So, I mean, troopers as a, as a whole you make a lot of felony arrests um, stopping people for speeding and, and for, you know, traffic infractions. And then, you know, you get them stopped and you find out, you know, they've got a warrant from out of Chicago or they've got whatever. It's a stolen car or they have drugs or they have whatever. Yes, it's not an uncommon thing. It's not every day by any means, but yeah, it's it's not uncommon at all. Well, I was involved many years later in a in a, uh, a flood type situation where uh, uh, where part of the interstate here flooded out and and it washed some some people off down into a ravine and took you know there was a mother and three kids that took three days to to float to the surface. So I mean, it was not a shooting type situation, but it was you know very traumatic. You know, just that it was a very traumatic day for Western Kansas. I mean, there were a lot of people out there, like this little town that, you know, in Levant was 68 people, and all of a sudden you've shot one and killed two more, and, you know, you've shot a deputy, and, and then the little town of Greenfield where, you know, the you know working people that didn't deserve this, and, and uh, it changed their whole lives that day. Yeah, I still get, I mean, I've had people, you know, years later go, oh, yeah, I remember that day. I was in third grade, and they put us on lockdown. <laughs> Again, I was an outsider, and even as an, you know, um, you know, and I told you the cities that I lived in, Atlanta and Miami and D.C., and then I get stationed in Oakland, Kansas, and I never really totally fit in out there, but, you know, I mean, everybody was related to everybody, and everybody knew everybody, and, you know, that kind of thing, so, I mean, this had a, you know, I mean, you just could not have not known someone that was involved with this. And I, you know, of course, I was friends with Ben, and, uh, you know, I didn't know any of the other victims, really, but... Um, yeah, it was just really, really traumatic. Death rides the highway. Understand the world around you with Spoon River Gothic Podcast because we go where the others don't. We dive deeper. 
And if you want to plunge even deeper into our true crime tales, please subscribe to Spoon River Gothic Agency. That's SRG Agency at www.patreon.com slash Spoon River Gothic Podcast. And access the Spoon River Gothic Podcast case file for bonus weekly episodes available on Spotify. And also included in the Patreon case file are investigative materials, such as exclusive audio interviews, trial footage, police files, court documents, photos, diagrams, and more to accompany each Season 2 episode of Death Rides the Highway. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a 5-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. It means more than you know in this cutthroat world. And until next time, work hard, party hard, keep a vigilant eye over your shoulder, and don't forget to watch each other's backs. This is a sideways world we are living in. And again, that's www.patreon.com slash Spoon River Gothic Podcast. Subscribe now, because there's always more to the story. Ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet for anyone to see? More than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, and even information about your family members is all being compiled by data brokers and sold to the highest bidders online. That means anyone on the web, criminal or investigator, can get your private details, which, as true crime enthusiasts know all too well, increases your risk of identity theft, phishing scams, harassment, stalking, and unwanted phone calls. As a podcast that exists publicly and shares our opinions online, we are hyper aware of safety and security, and all this data being so easily searchable on the internet can have real-life consequences. This is why Spoon River Gothic is proud to partner with Delete Me, the number one service in online data removal. Delete Me finds and removes any information you don't want online and makes sure it stays off. Their dedicated team finds and removes your personal info from the largest people search databases and helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, stalking, and phishing scams in the process. That's why I personally recommend Delete Me for protecting yourself and your personal information. Sign up at joindeleteme.com spoonriver and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts will take it from there. As part of their subscription service, you will even receive personalized privacy reports showing what they found, where they found it, and what they removed. Delete Me isn't just a one-time service. Their experts are always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you don't want accessible online. To put it simply, Delete Me does all the hard work of wiping you and your family's personal info off the web and making your personal profile no longer anyone's to sell. So join us at deleteme.com spoonriver because no one wants to be a victim nor a suspect. So get protected and the next time a case hits too close to home, you won't find yourself asking the stranger on the other end of the phone, how did you get my number? Go to joindeleteme.com spoonriver and get started today. Death rides the highway. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.